Amen. Well, thank you, Dale. And we have some great friendships here, Sharon and I, and delighted to be here this morning. I want to um, start off by just reflecting a little bit on our family. Sharon and I will be celebrating 43 years of marriage next month. So we praise God for that. Amen. And um, God has given us a good family. Uh, we have six children. And I, um, I don't usually use PowerPoints. Everybody asks me, what's your PowerPoint? I said, my power is in my point. But I, 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 I'm technologically challenged, so I didn't get the greatest picture in the world. But uh, that's our family. Um, we've got uh, Kristen is the oldest, and Tim, then John, and Matthew, and Karen, and Justin. And we took this picture last year at 4th of July. John got married to Shannon, who's from Canada. And he said he lost his independence on Independence Day because he got married July 4th. And uh, so we got one married July 4th, and we got Tim and Kim. Uh, Kim and Tim and Kim has our little granddaughter, Amani. She's just over one year old down in Memphis, Tennessee. And then um, Kristen is married to Tony, and uh, they have our grandson, which is two years old, Keegan. And then Matt is married to Erica, and they have our uh, nine-year-old granddaughter. So that's our family, and Justin is about to get married next month. And he's marrying a Latino. So we got our diverse family. So hey, praise God. Amen. So we are delighted about that. Crossroads Bible College, our mission statement is that we're training Christian leaders to reach a multi-ethnic urban world for Christ. It's one of the ministries that College Park supports. And we're delighted that we have an additional location that meets right here on College Park campus. Uh, we are right now teaching a biblical counseling course um, Dr. Robert Kellerman is doing that. Uh, we have a representative here. We will have a table outside. Number one, you can get information on the college. Number two, if you sign up for our newsletter, you can get a free DVD of me preaching on um, reconciliation through redemption and guided by revelation. And then there's also a few books and articles that I have out there, as well as information on the college. So I encourage you, after the service, to go out and get a hold of that and get some of that information. I trust that it would be helpful for you. Uh, and Sharon and I are here today and uh, excited about and honored with this opportunity to share. Uh, Pastor Nate was talking about the, the parable of the, of the rich fool, the, the individual that thought he had so much time and so much money and didn't realize he was dying. And he, he warned us about the, the wisdom of storing up riches towards God. Then Pastor uh, Andrew uh, Rogers talked about the Good Samaritan and how that we cannot do enough good works to save ourselves, and, and we are to love our neighbor, and our neighbor sometimes don't look like us, and sometimes we dislike our neighbor, but nevertheless, that's what God has called us to, and we need His grace to do it. This morning, I am in this series of A Tale of Two Kingdoms, and, and, and I want to talk about this difficult decision. It is a big decision to decide to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus had a situation here that was kind of interesting because the text says here um, in, in, in um, Luke 14, the text says that it was, there was a great crowd following him. And, and, and people who sit there, I'm sure it's, 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 it's communication. People say, now nah, we got it, Jesus. We can grow the church. 
I mean, if you just say it, man, they've been following you. They're, they're, they're believing you. They listen to you teach. They, 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 they look at you heal people. They look at all these great things going on. And look at them. Look at them. They're just coming in droves. And, and so Jesus gets to speak to this great crowd. And what does he say? Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's a bummer. <laughs> I mean, not all the things you can say. I mean, I mean, come on, we got a big crowd here. They're following us. I mean, come on, tell them about cookies and ice cream. Tell them about healing. Tell them about something. Tell them about church. We got air conditioning. We got good seats. Do something. How are you going to tell somebody that if they're going to be your disciple, they got to hate the mama and the papa, the brother and the sister? I mean, this is overboard. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand that following Jesus isn't a cheap decision. It is a costly decision. And, and, and Christ is, is not just trying to fill the pews. Christ are looking for disciples of the kingdom. There's our kingdom and there's his kingdom. And his kingdom has different rules than our kingdom. And he wants to be sure if you come in to this kingdom that you count the cost of coming into this kingdom. Now, 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 now some of you listening, you say, well, wait, wait a minute. Does he really mean hate? Well, 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 there's a comparison here, but, but listen, beloved, this isn't a cheap decision. Some of us, in trying to figure out exactly what this means in context, and we look at it, and we just say, we want to hate, we want to dislike, and, and just push everybody away. But, but, but let me say this to you. Somebody has raised the question, well, if the greatest law, as Jesus said, the law is summed up in two things. One is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the other one is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And some of you say, that's it, I love it. Because I don't like my neighbor. I hate my neighbor. So if I love my neighbors, I love myself. That scripture just told me to hate them. All right, I'm good. <laughs> what about Ephesians 5, where husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? And the scripture says in Ephesians 5, 28, 29, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it and takes care of it. Yeah, but Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to hate your own father and mother and wife and children. So what is he saying? I mean, after all, he tells me to love my wife. After all, he tells me to honor my parents. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, tells children to honor their father and their mother. This is the first commandment. With promise. Well, I want you to look at this same call to discipleship in Matthew chapter 10. Just want to look at that quickly, but I want you to notice the way it's stated in Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse. 32. The Bible says, 
So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a, pers and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now notice this. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 14 is simply this, that if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to come to a place where everything comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The priority of your life is not your husband, not your wife, not your father, not your mother, not your daughter, not your son, but the priority of your life must be Jesus Christ. He is the one who calls the shot. His word holds all authority. You need to love them and take care of them as he commands you to do in the Scriptures, but nevertheless, if you have to make a decision to deny Christ in order to show love for mother, father, son, daughter, whatever, that decision is off the table. I am going to do what Christ wants me to do no matter what. Now, that's a difficult place to be in the society in which we live. We got racial things. We've got uh, economic things. We've got political situations. We got family situations. But when an individual try to push you to violate your conscience before God, you as a disciple must say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in all humility and in, in, in all, in all uh, uh, compassion, but I cannot disobey the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when, this, when, this, when Jesus was talking in this particular culture at that time, when a person came to faith in Christ, many of them were dismissed from their family. I mean, it was a costly thing. To get baptized in Jesus' day wasn't a popular thing. And I want, to, I want you to know it's not a popular thing today in some, some cultures, some Asian cultures, some Native American cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, Muslim family background. If you're going to go to Christ, we're going to count you as dead. We're going to push you out of the family. We won't have anything to do with you. So when they come to Christ— it's a serious decision. They're saying Jesus is number one. He is the priority in my life. And beloved, I want you and I to understand that these days and the days that you and I are living in, with all the racial turmoil, with all the, the, the police and, 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 and community uh, activism going around, with all the p p political uh, situation that we live in, this is a difficult situation. With, with terrorism and all the rest going around, it's a time to be fearful, and it's a time that sometimes we, we, we would jump into to little cliques for our own security. But I want to say to you, in the midst of all of this unrest and all the rest, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Your question is not what my mother thinks, my father thinks, my government thinks. Your question is, what does Jesus say? You and I have got to obey the Word of God if indeed we're going to be His disciple. He goes on to say here, not only that you will love Him above all else, but He goes on to say, in verse 27, Who's, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
You go down to verse 33 and he says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. I want to tell you, somebody asked the question, is Jesus, is Jesus a donkey or an elephant? Is he Democrat or Republican? And, and I like what Tony Evans says, he didn't come to pick sides, he came to take over. See, Jesus ain't submitted to nobody. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's my Savior. And, 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 and if you're going to follow him, you're going to be misunderstood sometimes. You're going to be falsely accused sometimes. You're going to be fearful sometimes. But you're going to decide that if that's a cross that I need to bear, I'm willing to bear because I love Jesus. I mean, this is his call on your life and my life. But the question is, Jesus said, don't jump up and say, I'm going to be your disciple. In fact, he, he puts these, this hard call out to this crowd. And then he says, think about it. And I want you to think about it. I want you to think as a Christian, as you claim to be a disciple of Christ, I claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do we really love him above all else? Is he first in our life? Does he have priority over our life? What cross are you bearing for him right now? What misunderstanding are you going through right now? What, what, what fearful thing by faith you are attacking right now? What initiatives are you taking right now? All because you love Jesus. What are you doing for him? And you might be sitting out here listening. And I want you to understand that this message is not to the world. This message is to the church. It's to believers. We're living in difficult days. We need to learn to lament as our pastors taught us. People have lost loved ones. They're hurting. They're crying. They're weeping. And sometimes all we do is pointing fingers at one another. We need to lament, but we need to think before we make this critical decision. It's a big decision. Jesus warned of this group. After saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to Love me more, you're going to take the cross, and the cross ain't some nice little thing we put on our wrist, around our neck. I mean, at that time, that would be a symbol of execution. That would be like putting a, an electric chair around your neck. It was crucifixion. It was despicable. It was degrading. But Jesus said, you got to pick the cross. you got to deny yourself. But then he says this, just to drive it home. Just in case you didn't hear it. Verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, and all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Think about it. Most of you in here claim to be disciples of Jesus. We're disciples of Christ, of the kingdom of God. We live in another world. We live in two worlds. The kingdom, we're in the earthly kingdom, but we're of the heavenly kingdom. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. But how does that affect your decisions? Maybe you're sitting here and you say, I'm not in that kingdom. Well, maybe you're considering that kingdom, but let me tell you something. I want you to understand this is a serious decision. It's not a light decision. To become a follower of Christ is not a light decision. Jesus said, sit down, think about it. If a person's going to build a tower, they sit down and they think about what will it cost and whether they got enough money to finish it. And if they don't, they don't build. 
He goes on to say, or what, verse 31, of what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who, has, who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while others yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In other words, Jesus said, now you, you, you think about it. Now think about it. Before you say you want to be my disciple, I know you got a crowd out there, and I know you'll follow me, and, and for various reasons you're following me, but, but I, just want you, I just want you to think, if, if indeed you want to come that extra step and you want to become one of my disciples, I want to tell you something, you're going to have to love me above anything and everyone else. And, and, and secondly, I, I want you to understand, I want you to understand that if you come to me, you need to think about it because it's going to be costly from the time you enter until the time you exit. I want you to think about it. You know, with that type of invitation, the question is, who and why would anyone want to become a disciple? In fact, we could often, we could, we could say, and I believe one of the points that Jesus is putting out, you ain't got what it takes. You, 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 you can't do this on your own, and you don't have any motivation to do it. So what would motivate a person? to make such a critical decision. Well, I want to say this. I think College Park got it right in our mission statement. College Park says that we exist to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. There's some type of passion. There's some type of love. There's something that can be ignited in our hearts that would move us to love him above all else and over everyone else. There's some type of passion, some type of thing that can be ignited in our heart by Jesus that would move us to bear our personal crosses in our walk with him. I think College Park has it right in our values, core values. Talk about the preeminence of Jesus. You see, Jesus stands above College Park. Jesus stands above the state of Indiana. Jesus stands above the Supreme Court. Jesus stands above the President of the United States of America. Jesus stands above. He is preeminent. College Park got it right. College Park got it right when we talk about the authority of the Word of God. We're going to march by a different drummer. We're going to listen to what he says. We're going to follow what he tells us to do, no matter where he sends us to go. College Park got it right when it talks about a redemptive community. We're a community of believers. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. College Park got it right when they talk about biblical unity in diversity, that we are different background, different ethnicities, different economic educational background, but there's a unity here because of Jesus Christ. College Park got it right when they speak in our core values of extravagant grace. These are the things that motivate us. College Park got it right when they say that we are called to go. What I want to say to you this morning, I don't want to point fingers at anybody, 
But, but what I want to say to you this morning in these difficult times in which we're living, I just want to go through some of the experiences in my life, and I want to tell you that some critical decisions I made in my life that was all because of Jesus, all because of His grace. I want to say to you today that I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love Him above anyone and anything. I want to say to you today that I'm willing to bear my cross daily for the Lord Jesus Christ, but I want you to know that I'm not perfect. I want you to know that I fail. I want you to know that I struggle, but I just want you to know that Jesus is worthy, and I'll do things for Jesus that I would do for you. I want you to know that today. I just want you. I, 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 I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am not turning back. You say, well, Brother Ware, where did it all start? Well, 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 well back in 1968, it was the year that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. There were riots all over our major cities in the United States of America. We were involved in the Vietnam War. All this stuff was going on. I was in a school that was over 90-something percent white. I would served on the student council as a freshman. I was president of my class as a sophomore. I was vice president of student council as a junior. I was president of student council as a senior. But, but I want you to know that with all of that stuff that was going on around there, and all of this distress going on in there, and something was missing in my heart and in my life. I felt empty. I felt I was getting worldly success, but my heart was falling apart. My life was falling apart. And then on a Monday night, two white men came to my house, knocked on my door on daily visitation, looked me in my face, and said, if you would die tonight, where would you go to spend eternity? I looked them dead in their eyes, and I said, if God is just, I'd go to hell. And, and they said, whoa, have you ever heard that you know you're going to heaven? I said, yeah, I heard that before. When I was in seventh grade, I was in a Sunday school class. The, 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 the teacher taught from 1 John 5, 13 and 14, these things were written unto you to believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. Well, I walked out of that Sunday school class saying, nobody can know that they're going to heaven before they die. I, I said, it's, it's like this, man. I don't know anybody perfect. I was telling my friend, but I said it's like this. If we're, in, if we're in school and everybody flunks the test, the teacher can't flunk everybody. They got to throw a curve. And, uh, and I say, when, they, when, 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 when they throw the curve, I mean, you may have got 45, but if that was the highest grade, they bump you up to 90 or something like that. And, and I said, that's the way God's going to do it. So, so, so in seventh grade, I began to live on the basis of that curve. I said, I'm better than most of these kids in this Sunday school class. And I took some sins out of my life just in case. You know, I just say, I just got to get me a little bumper up or, you know, get me a little bump up. And, um, and I lived that way through high school until my senior year. And I decided being good isn't that good. <laughs> so, so I was sinning. So when they came to my house, I was a sinner and I knew it. They, 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 they asked, could they come into my living room? I allowed them to come into my living room. They took me to the Romans road for, for, for all the sin and come short of the glory of God. And, 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 and they told me that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was in my living room, March of 1968. I knelt on my floor with two white men, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and he saved me. And I've never been the same since, folk. <laughs> I tell you, praise God. That was awesome. That was awesome. In, in fact, I got baptized, man. I got baptized. I was the first black person in that all-white church. My mama said, you look like a fly in a bowl of milk. But that's all right. That's all right. 
I did it because of Jesus. So I wouldn't have been in church if it wasn't for Jesus. He, was, he, he entered my life. He changed my life. He brought me peace. He brought me joy. He brought me purpose. He brought me, he, he just excited me. That was a passion for Jesus. That's why I joined uh, that church. Uh, it, it, it was awesome. Uh, and, and they had the Word of God there, by the way, and that's why I was there. Um, in fact, I was trying to, they were asking for testimony. People wouldn't stand for testimonies. I stand up and say, Jesus need to be praised, y'all, even if I didn't know what I was going to say. And uh, I tried to get in the Women's Missionary Society. I thought they had the Bible in there, so I tried to get in there too. But it was because of Jesus. Jesus, he said. And then, you know, wasn't too long after that. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I want to be a disciple. I got to love him above all else and everything else. And I got racial stuff going around me. And I got blacks trying to pull me this way, whites trying to pull me this way. And, 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 and then I, I had a decision to make about college. But, but God, God, God brought me to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And, and, and somebody preached that and got me to that, and I told Jesus, my life is yours. My life is yours. I just want to follow you. I'm not following my race. I'm not following a political system. I'm not following this or that or the other. I just want to follow you. And I remember when God began to deal with my heart about going to a Bible college. Man, I applied to three state universities, accepted at three state universities, scholarship at three state universities. In fact, one of them said, you come here, we will pay your room, your board, tuition, and give you money to spend on the weekend. I was the first person in my family to go to college. God began to deal with my heart about a Bible college, 200 students in the hills of Pennsylvania. And I remember praying, and I was serious. I told God, God, you sure you want me to go down there? I said, they probably got the Ku Klux Klan down there. <laughs> but Jesus, if you want me to go, I'll go for you. I went. I went down there. They had another African-American gal there, but she left after the first semester. So there I was. I was in that college. You, why, you said, why do you, why do you why do they go to college? Because I love Jesus. Because I was willing to bear my cross for him as best I understand. I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I, I was at that car around white kids who never saw a black person up close and personal back in those days. I remember I was playing soccer. We had three, three practices a day. I was coming in. I, after the noon practice, and I'm sweating, and I'm walking to my dorm, and I'm walking down this sidewalk, and this little white kid, I mean, scrawny little kid, he was a nerd, not an athlete. <laughs> and I walk him, he stops me, and he looks at me in the eye, and he goes, is that the wind in sweats? And I'm like, show you how an end fights. But you know what? Jesus, Jesus got a hold of me right there, there, right then. You know, you know, God's good. I mean, I wouldn't have stayed there if it wasn't for Jesus, but I did, and I'm glad I did. God got me a lot of friends there. Got my wife there, matter of fact. Hallelujah, amen. <laughs> but um, 
You know, going through that situation and, and, and being there, we went through some things, and, and um, I had a friend in high school, African-American young man, great athlete, out, outstanding athlete. I took him to a youth rally, and he got saved. At least he made a profession of faith. I don't know if he got saved or not. He was an underclassman, so he was telling me he wanted to come play ball with me at Bible college. And uh, during one of the meetings, we were having a camp-type meeting. All these white girls were running around him because he was an outstanding athlete. The director of the camp pulled him aside and told him he shouldn't be around these white girls. Uh, they didn't believe in interracial marriage. He came to me, and he wanted to know what was this all about. I told him, I don't know, but forget it. We ain't here for no girls. We're here for Jesus. So just follow Jesus, man. Forget it. Well, he didn't forget it. And some black Muslims got a hold of him one summer when he was talking about coming to Bible college with me. And um, he decided this is a white man's religion. He went to secular university, said, I'm going to play professional ball. He was in school one month, broke his foot. Dropped out of school, went to the big city, got involved in drugs, beat up some woman, wound up in prison. Another friend of mine called me and said, after he was in prison for a while, a friend of mine called and said, have you heard what happened to him, man? I said, no, I haven't heard. He said, he, said, he gave me the story, and then, then he said, you need to go visit him. He'll listen to you. Well, that was a three-and-a-half-hour trip, and I didn't have a car. I didn't have anything, so I said, I can't go up. That's why I wrote him a letter. Not too long after that, my friend called me again. He said, you know, man, did you hear what happened? I said, no. He said, our friend was released from prison. Within 13 days, he got married. He and his wife got an altercation. Gun went off, shot him. He was dead. And I asked myself the question, what, would it have been any different if the church embraced him? I, quite matter of fact, I just wanted to follow Jesus. So I'm saying if the Bible's against it, I'm against it. I began to study on this subject. I studied the Bible, and I, I studied the Bible, and I came up. I did a paper for one of my classes called "Prejudice in the People of God." You know, I came to the conclusion that we are one race. Doesn't matter what color we are, ethnicity we are. We all came from Adam. Amen. We're just one race, and you know what? We're one sinful race. <laughs> There's enough sin to go around for everybody. But, 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 but the death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ, he, it, it paid the price so that now when we're saved, we're one blood. My brothers and my sisters in Christ, you are my brothers and sisters not because of our ethnicity, not because of our economic background, not because of our education, not because—we are brothers and sisters in Christ because Jesus Christ came, He died for our sins, He was buried, He arose again, and bless God, if we become one of His disciples, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Amen. I've got a DVD that'll be at the table. You can get it, sign up for our newsletter. You get it. It's called um, Reconciliation Rooted in Redemption and Got It by Revelation. That's my heartbeat because I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and there's no turning back. I remember that my wife Sharon and I at college, she was one year behind me and, and um, felt like the Lord wanted us to get married. I started a church with some other students down in the city urban church, 
And yet, when the administration found out about it, they told Sharon that if we got married, she'd have to drop out of school. We decided we'd date in the spirit for a year to wait for her to get out of school. And then as that time approached, the administration met with everybody that was part of our church. They were all white. The, the, the ones that was, uh, had, was going to college, they were all white, probably about 20, 30 of them. And the administration met with them and said, Charles and Sharon, get married. You're going to have to choose between the college and the church. And, and, and they met by themselves, didn't talk to me about it. They met by themselves. And then one of them was my deacon. He came to me and he told me, so we had this meeting with the administration. He said, but I want you to know that we talked it over as church members. And we, we went back and we told the administration, God ordained the local church. God didn't ordain a college. This is our church and we ain't moving. <laughs> praise God. Oh, praise God. Just follow him. Do what he wants you to do. The administration changed their tune and they said, they said, students who were there could keep their membership there, but nobody knew could join. But that's all right. We had Jesus. And we followed Jesus. I mean, I, 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 all I'm trying to tell you, you can't tell a person what they did or didn't experience. But, 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 but what we can do, as Pastor said, we can lament with people. And we can love people. And we can listen to people. And, and we can help people because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It was a great time. I would say to us, and as Christians, what we need to respond to is we, we live in a community here in Indianapolis where the chief of police and the mayor are, are asking people of faith, come in and help us. If we want to be a solution to what's going on. Come on in and help us. Come on in and, and help us in our public schools. City Mosaic is there in several different schools. Come on down and, and help us walk the streets against crime. Come on down and help us minister to the mentally, uh, people with mental health problems. Come on down and help us. We, we, as the people of God, we can't allow bitterness to blind us. We got to obey Christ. We must help fight crime. We must stand for morality. College Park, we haven't arrived yet, but we're headed in the right direction. I want to encourage you. We're doing a lot as a church, but we can do a lot more. But, I, but, I, but one of the reasons I'm here in College Park is because we've got a leadership that is committed to preaching against sin and preaching the Savior. We're committed to biblical unity with diversity. We're committed to the poor. We have local outreaches. We have international outreaches. We have people in this church that adopts children, some cross-racial, some out of bad homes and bad neighborhoods. We have people in this church that are relocated from the suburbs and went down into the inner city to minister. We have ministry for women who are struggling and, and their lives are falling apart and, and, and people in this church are putting their lives together, taking them through training, getting them economic training, getting them into houses. We have ministries from this church that helping people that, that have lost jobs, felons have a record, and bringing them in and, and giving them a job. I want to tell you, College Park, we're headed in the right direction. Let's keep it up. Let's not get discouraged by the media and all the things that's flying around us. We can't turn back. We're disciples of Christ, and we will not turn back.
Sometimes you get tired. I admit sometimes you get tired. I, 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 I can tell you one time I really got tired. It, it was back in February 1998. I was on the, I was on the, on the West Coast preaching, and, and I got a call that, that, that our son, Matt, had, 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 had broken his neck, and, and, and they gave me the hospital number, and I called the hospital, and the nurse answered, and I said, is my son being admitted? She said, yes, your son's being admitted. He's broken his neck. I got a, she brought Sharon. Sharon talked. She was crying. She was weeping. She said, I got to hang up. They're taking him to a different hospital. And so they took him to a different hospital. And, and I flew back. And I remember on that plane, I began to cry. And I began to say, to say to God, listen, I gave you my life. I gave you everything. I went to college you wanted me to do. I'm married. I got the family you wanted to do. We adopted Matt. And now he's paralyzed. I don't have money. I can't take care of him. And then God reminded me, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you gave me your life as a living sacrifice. That's all you need to do. Just follow that. I knew Matt before you did. I'm the one that conceived him in the womb. You didn't get him until after he was three days old. I provided for him for 16 years. I continue to provide for him. And I want to tell you, as I came back and I began to see the things that was happening, all the people that were visiting Matt and ministered to Sharon. And then I, then I, then, then, then I, I, I had this church on a Sunday night, took up $167,000 in one night to put together a trust fund for Matt Ware. We had some Christian, some Christian business people put on a banquet, and, and, and they took up $100 and something thousand dollars, including a, 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 a handicap-adapted van given to us by Kroger Food Souls, free, uh, f- uh, totally free of debt. Some, some Christian construction people built us a home on 10 acres of land, 3,000 square feet. And because the saints came together around us, we, went, we moved into that home debt-free. Let me tell you something. I'm so glad I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, I haven't lost anything. He's given me more than, than I've gotten. And, and, and this thing, the people who helped us, they were white, they were black, they were Latino, they were Native American, they were international people, they were deaf people. It was all of God's people coming together. When Billy Graham came into the area to do a Billy Graham crusade, that night that they went for the youth. They used Matt's story there. I want to praise God for that. I want to tell you here at College Park, we need to so live as Christians born again by the blood of Christ, made disciples, paying the cost that we create a community here that'll cost the community out there to say this is the way Christians do this thing. God bless you and go to our table and get information. God bless you. Amen.